Hey podcast, today I'm talking to Jeff from Worldwide Cyclery. So you've probably seen Jeff on his YouTube videos where he talks about all sorts of things, bike reviews, the state of the industry, everything really. So it's going to be really interesting talking to him today. So Jeff, thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Thanks for having me. So I thought it'd be nice really to start with just telling our audience everything about you really so who you are how you got into the bike industry what worldwide cyclery is just a real general overview of, of who you are to start with and then we'll dive into some some uh some good conversations we've got lined up today yeah cool yeah no worries so um i am uh based in southern california um yeah our shop is a worldwide cyclery we are predominantly an online player in the in the mountain bike space but we do have three retail stores as well and yeah, we have a we have a decent sized media presence on on Instagram and YouTube. And I started the shop when I was 21. So prior to that, I was you know riding and racing mountain bikes and BMX bikes and motocross and stuff as a kid. And yeah, I didn't go to college or anything. I just really loved the game of business and uh, you know saw an opportunity in the industry back in 2011 and saw what was you know the industry. A lot of it was going online, and there was a lot of sort of unsophisticated players and a lot of room to sort of, you know, basically create something cool in the space. And, and that was the birth of, of worldwide cyclery, you know, opened it at 21 and it's, uh, it's grown to be a, a pretty fun project now where we, you know, do our best to support people having fun on bikes and play around with fancy mountain bikes all day, every day. It's good fun. Living the dream. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. so I'm trying. <laughs> you get to talk about bites all day. That's definitely living the dream. So uh, you obviously just said that you started at 21. So did you open a brick and mortar store at 21 or did you start off online? What what happened there? Yeah, so the way it works, at least in, at least in the US, I think it's probably like this in other places too, is you kind of have to have a brick and mortar store in order to get... Uh, just to get those wholesale accounts with all the brands and the distributors and things like that. So uh, I did open up a little tiny podunk uh, brick and mortar store. And, you know, the idea was to really just focus on high end mountain bikes. That's all I really was interested in and, and saw that sort of niche in. And, and I knew it was kind of a risky goal. And I knew if we wanted to just focus on the mountain biking segment that, you know, we were going to, we couldn't just do a retail store. It was going to have to be an online thing as well. And that's kind of where I was interested in and had some knowledge from previous things. And uh, yeah, so it started out as a little brick and mortar and then, uh, you know, obviously grew more and more online. And then, you know, now we've got three brick and mortars that are a little bit bigger than the original one, uh, where we just work on high-end mountain bikes, demo bikes, service sales, all that sort of stuff. And then most of the business is online. And then, you know, because of that, um, we've got a location where we started in Southern California, another one in Reno, Nevada, and another one all the way across the country in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, and that's so that we can ship products all throughout the, you know, North America really fast. That's why they're kind of spread out between the country. That's amazing. So it's been a big journey then, hasn't it? Just from starting a very small bike shop to expanding into the, the budded empire that it is at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's quite an empire, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something for sure. <laughs> That's cool. So what sort of split are you between online then and in-store, if that makes sense? Would you say you're predominantly like an online business or what? what's the split there? Yeah, totally. So it's it's ninety percent online. I mean, the, uh, okay. the internet's a, a large place that kind of doesn't have any limits. So so yeah, it's it's very much online, and, and we love the retail store stuff. But 
you know, because because we try to be focused on just that higher end mountain bike scene, uh, that definitely limits the retail stores to kind of what we like to do, frankly, which is just work on high end stuff and have high end mountain bike demos. And uh, it's very different. People walk into one of our retail stores and it's uh, it's kind of like a Lamborghini or Ferrari dealership would be, but for mountain bikes. And we don't oh, have okay. bikes. We don't have beach cruisers. We don't we don't sell 20 inch tubes. We don't do any of that. We just do high end mountain bikes. Um, so yeah, it, it keeps it fun and interesting. And, and for the people who div, do live near one of our retail stores, they walk into it and they're like, Oh, Holy shit. Like this is what I've been looking for my whole life. So, <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> so was that the vision originally when you started at 21 or you said you spotted an opportunity was the, was the opportunity and the vision to, to build that kind of bike shop or was it to start to dominate online? What was the original, uh, opportunity that you spotted you know um i didn't have like a super defined vision when i started i, I really didn't know too much about what i was doing i uh, i don't think most 21 year olds know what they're doing at all in life in general even if at the time um, you, th- you think you do <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um so yeah the the vision was like you know the opportunity that i really saw was you know all the existing online players in the space None of them, from what I could tell, were really doing anything special. None of them had like a good media presence. None of them were really doing anything exceptional with customer support or any like good branding or they weren't really anything other than just a place to buy shit. And and that to me was like, well, there's a pretty big opportunity there because if we can be something more to riders, you know, we could probably capture a lot of market share. If we can ship things faster, if we can offer a more tailored, unique selection, if we can bring value to people in in educational content around all of these wildly complex and complicated products, um, and, and we can have fun while we're doing it. And, and the other thing too, to me was like, I think business should be a force for fun and supporting people having fun on bikes. And, and that's part of what the bike industry appeals to people is that it's not like this rigid suit wearing industry. It's one you can get into and enjoy yourself and laugh and have fun. And, you know, half of our staff doesn't wear shoes while they're at work. They just walk around <laughs> barefoot and, you know, like there's no, there's, there's very little rules, right? I mean, it's, you have a focus of, Hey, you know, we're here to support people having fun on bikes, um, you know, provide a great customer experience and have fun. And that's like a big part of our, you know, our business. And I think that to me, that's like a competitive advantage, right? Because you, you, you know, people come and, and gravitate towards that, that come into the industry and they're in it for the right reasons. They're not in it for money. They're not in it because they just need a job. They're in it because they love riding bikes and they love being around bikes and people who ride bikes and share that passion. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think as a consumer, you can absolutely tell that when you walk into a business, like you can tell instantly the employees who genuinely love being there, whether it's their business or, you know, just a random compared to, you know, the employee who just doesn't want to be there. And I can imagine that that very much radiates. I've obviously not visited any of your stores, but just from chatting to you now, I can imagine that radiates through the whole store. Yeah, it does. It it totally does. And, And I think that's, you know, we try to do our best to you know, show that uh, through YouTube and through Instagram as well. And, and, and even our emails. I mean, if you've ever bought anything from us and read your, you know, order confirmation email or your tracking email or almost any email we send, you know that there's a lot of humor packed into all of this. And that's just part of our customer experience. And part of like, you know, I, I think like when someone starts a business, you know, the people that gravitate towards that business, you know, to some extent, um, some extent like you hire people that are similar to you in a little bit and 
and we have a culture of, of humor and fun. And, you know, I myself am just like, I don't take myself seriously and I'm a total goofball. And uh, it's part of why I wasn't really, you know, properly employable. So I thought, well, I should probably employ myself one way or another. And, and yeah, so, so there's a lot of good humor mixed into all of our stuff. And, and uh, some people, you know, I would say the vast majority of people appreciate it. Some people are a little turned off by it because they kind of expect a more professional experience. But yeah, I mean, those just aren't our customers. The thing is, like you can, I think when it comes to attracting customers, you can only be yourself at the end of the day, can't you? So if you are chilled out and down to earth, you're gonna you're gonna um, attract customers who like that kind of thing, and you're gonna put off the ones who don't like that. But there's no point trying to be all professional and pretending to be something that you're not, because then you'll attract the wrong type of customers and put off the right sort of customers. Yep, hundred percent. You nailed it. So when you started back when you were 21, were you purely on your own or did you have a business partner or two? Like, how did you get going? Because I think for a lot of people listening to this, especially if there's anybody young listening to this, the idea of just starting a bike shop on your own at 21 seems like a huge daunting task. So how, how did all that happen? Yeah, so so that's actually a question I've answered um, a few times on, on our YouTube channel because it, it does pop up and, you know, it is, it is unusual, right? Like, I'm, I'm not an... I'm not a, a common scenario. Not that many people start a business at 21. And I, I was absolutely fortunate to be uh, raised in a good, you know, middle-class family with incredibly supportive parents. And, you know, kind of when I came up with this idea and, and pitched this whole thing to my parents, you know, they, they bought into it and they said, yeah, like we think you can do it. And we think you have a good enough backup plan in case you fail. Uh, Cause that was, that was a big part of it was like, okay, I'm going to have another you know, part-time job while I opened the store. And, and so my, my mom actually gave me a, a $20,000 loan at a 10% simple interest rate. Um, I paid her back in the first year, luckily, but yeah, that was like the original seed capital. I mean, and, and my dad co-signed on the, on the building lease for me. So, I mean, I'm like eternally grateful to my parents and I'm just like so lucky to be born in a family where I have good supportive parents. And, and that was it. It was, it was me by myself. Um, you know, my, my parents didn't ride bikes at all and, and they're not, you know, um, my mom's an English major and, and does a lot of volunteer work. My dad's a medical malpractice lawyer. So like they're, they're not entrepreneurs. They don't even ride bikes. Um, they just supported me in whatever I did. So I'm super grateful for that. But yeah, that's, that's really how I started solo. And I had one buddy who was, a quasi, you know, illegitimately documented employee for the first year just under the <laughs> table. Um, eventually, just over a year into it, he faded out. It, it was kind of tough in the early days because, you know, most of my network was also kids my age and most 21-year-olds and most of my friends were just doing different things. They were either in college or they were, you know, working part-time wherever and getting drunk four days a week. And I was... yeah, yeah spending you know 10 p.m on friday nights cleaning the windows of the store it was, it was a different 21 year old experience for sure and then yeah grew from there right a, a year later um a, another friend of mine friend of a friend i hired him and he's still with the company patrick he's a co-owner now and and you know he's been a, he's this oldest employee and um yeah it was amazing having him help me with it and then you know, slowly just made hire after hire of, of good person that was dedicated and, and helped build and, and grow the thing. So yeah, started it solo, but it, it certainly hasn't been a solo mission much at all, right? I mean, you just other than the, the first year, right? Beyond that, you know, we've tacked on a few people and now several people that are just amazing and good and super helpful that have helped build it to what it is today. So how old are you now? Uh, 30. 
30 okay so it's been nine years in the making like it so in that first year then I can imagine you mentioned that you had some past experiences that helped you when you started at 21 what were those past experiences yeah, so the the huge advantage, right, was just knowing the industry. So I worked at a local shop from a from a very young age. I got a job at a local shop, uh, Michael's Bicycles. When not to be confused with the big chain Mike's Bikes, which is in NorCal, but Michael's Bicycles is just a single location, small mom and pop shop. I worked there at age fourteen till I was twenty, and um, yeah, I mean, and and I raced a bunch, right? I did a bunch of downhill and super D racing, so. Between working at the shop and racing, I really got to know the industry, right? And that was the biggest key. So not only did I like know and love and was obsessed with the products and knew how to work on them and understood them and raced with them and all that sort of stuff, but I also understood the customers who buy this stuff. And I also understood who are the distributors, right? Like, where do you even buy product at wholesale? How are you allowed to do that? What are the order minimums? You know, all of that type of knowledge just came from industry experience and, and working at that local shop. It's it's not a very complicated industry, right? I mean, there, there's only so many brands and there's really only a handful of distributors in the US. So it's not hard to figure it out. The hard, I think the harder thing is like learning who actually spends money in the industry and how they do it and like what's the flow of product like and what are people's complaints and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, working at that shop, learning sort of the inside of the industry. I mean, that's that's everything, right? I mean, I always tell people if they want to start a business, like they got to work in the industry to like really truly understand sort of like the behind the scenes stuff that goes on before they think they can, you know, just hop out there and do it themselves. So did you have an interest in entrepreneurship and having your own business from that young age of say 13 when you started working in the bike shop or did that develop on like over time were you just interested in bikes or did you start to get more and more interested in business as you were working in the bike shop to the point where you had this kind of like itch or this burning desire to have your own business like what what was that like? Yeah, it's a super good question. So when I was younger, I always did entrepreneurial type things and didn't even realize it. I don't think I even really knew what the word entrepreneur was until I was probably 18 or 19. Um, You know, as a kid, I actually used to, uh, because I always wanted, uh, you know, the next dirt bike or or new tires or another bike, I I was always kind of just like finding unique ways to make money. And, you know, when I was uh, between 10 and 13 years old in, in middle school, I was uh, basically scouring everything around the house to sell on eBay. And this would be like random things my dad had got, like a white elephant gift party for the holidays. And I'd be like, hey, can I have this and sell it on eBay? He's like, I don't want that thing. Sure. You know, so I was just selling old stuff around the house and, and trying to make money that way. And, and I was always doing that. And I didn't, I didn't realize that how rare or like entrepreneurial that was until I was older and looked back at that. But I was making decent money doing that. And then I started just knocking on all the doors of all the neighbors because this was back when eBay had way less fees and sort of it was easier to sell things on there. And yeah. I was knocking on the doors of all the neighbors and offering to sell like any semi-valuable thing they had. And I sold all sorts of weird shit on eBay for my neighbors and discovered weird things like these drill bits that people buy and sell on eBay that are, you know, worth like $500 a piece. And so I was just doing all this weird stuff. And then when I started working at the shop, I would, um, I would, the owner was so cool. I would, I would buy products and and ride them myself. And then I would sell them to friends or sell them on pink bike forums. Um, so I was always like buying and selling bike stuff, you know, just at, just like out of nature. I didn't really even think of it as like a business venture. And then, yeah, the more I worked at that shop, the more I like realized how fun business can be. Right. And, and how, like, 
I guess what really inspired me was was watching him as an owner. He was this like really charismatic guy and he would make friends with all the customers and and he would, you know, it just made me like appreciate what bikes do, right? Like we all ride bikes because they're fun and they enrich our lives in some way. And to be able to support that and help people and and it's just like the little things, right? Like to be able to have someone come in and sell them, a, you know, they ask for a set of tires and sell them like a really good set of tires. And then they come in the next day and their like face is glowing and they're like, Dude, <laughs> these tires, I was gripping like Velcro. They're just all pumped. You know, it's like, that's so fun. I don't know. So that's, that really got me into it. And then realized that like, wow, sales is like really just like helping people have a better fun experience. And, and so I just got more interested in the business side of operating it and staying organized and, and all that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, it, that, that like business passion was, was there from a young age, but it like definitely like grew in me as I worked at that shop. Yeah. And just kind of naturally, naturally developed. Do you still know the owner of Michael's bike shop? Yeah. Yeah, I do. So, so, you know, we still stay in touch here and there and his daughter actually cuts my hair. Um, wow. <laughs> And I'm still friends with, uh, you know, one of his sons and yeah, they're, they're totally cool people. I mean, our businesses are like so vastly different. They've since like expanded quite a bit since I, I left there. And, uh, I mean, that was obviously years and years ago, but yeah, they do, they do a great local business. They still do. I mean, the community that they're in is like just ripe with cycling of all kinds. So they still have an awesome business and, um, yeah, you know, he has definitely like an abundance mindset, which I appreciate, you know, it's, it's not business is not typically mm, a zero sum game you know yeah it's it's not a zero sum game right like we can all sell stuff and have fun and enjoy each other and and we're not competing directly with each other like there's tons of people selling all this stuff so yeah it's it's good stuff 100% he must be really proud to have seen you go from a kid to where you're at now then i i think so yeah <laughs> i <I'm assuming laughs> <laughs> making you blush <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> so there must have been um some amazing lessons that you learned from him kind of in your teens do any spring to mind any particular lessons or things that happened that that that's that you know that spring to mind when when i say that yeah you absolutely and kind of what i touched on before the way he was so charismatic and made friends with people um that that really stuck with me and the way he viewed sales because i think you know in the modern era you can view business in so many different ways right and you can do it in so many different ways some businesses are probably legitimately out there to just crank out profit at at the expense of their customers and other businesses are out there to run a profitable business to make a good living and bring value to society and uh, and in a unique way. And, and there's just like so many different ways you can do it. But seeing how he would, you know, he didn't look at people as like, oh, I'm going to try and extract money from their wallet. He looked at people as like, oh, these these are my friends. Like I sell them bike stuff. They have fun on bikes. I make friends with them. They're friends with me. Like, and that that mentality really stuck with me. And, you know, as as I grew worldwide, I really thought, how do I how do I extrapolate on that and make that happen over the internet? And and that's where like social media came into play. It was like, how do I get people to sort of feel that like, know, and trust and personality of who I am, who the Worldwide Cyclery staff is and what our business and core values are all about? Like, how do I do that through a screen? And luckily you have social media these days, right? And I think video is the best medium to do it. So I always am trying to show people who we are and make friends with customers and do cool stuff like that. And whether that's like local sort of group rides, which aren't as popular in 2020 as you might imagine, but we used to do a lot of those in the past. 
And uh, yeah, so I mean, that's that's something that really stuck with me. The way he made friends with people, and I was like, you know what, I I love that. Like that stuck with me. It was like you can use business for good and use it to support fun in this world, and you know, make friends while you're doing it, and still make a living. Like that to me was something that stuck with me. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think that's kind of a common misconception, maybe for some, not definitely not all, but some people outside of business, uh, particularly big corporations, is that you'll assume that somebody who's successful in business, for example, must have ripped people off or must be doing something wrong. And like, it's just not true. Like, you can you can become a massive success through helping out millions of people. And I think that's the definitely the best way to do it, in my opinion, anyway, because you're making a difference and you've got a real purpose and making a living as well yeah yeah i totally agree i mean and i think you're doing something very similar right like you're you're creating great content and supporting people staying fit on their bike and that's awesome it's like making running a business and helping people like that's what business should be I always say that like say for, for, for future businesses so one of my criterias for for any kind of like business or anything like that at the moment I only have MTB fitness and I personal train people as well a couple of days a week is that I want to be doing something that helps people and makes a difference with people I want to really enjoy it and I want to be able to make money from it as well but it needs those three things so if there was like if I could make an absolute ton of money but I didn't enjoy it and it didn't help people then I'm not interested um, but I think you need to have those kind of three things because because you need to be able to support yourself financially and your family and your house and all that side of things. But you need to be able to help people as well because you said it yourself, when you sell a tire to someone and they come in and then they're absolutely buzzing, like that's an amazing feeling. Um, and you need to enjoy it as well. Like there's no point you trying to sell computers to somebody which may make a massive difference to their life. But if you don't enjoy it, then you know that's that's not a good fit. Yep, I agree, man. I love it. Perfect criteria. Those three things are definitely key. So when I was kind of like growing MTB Fitness, the first 18 months, I was spending 300, 400 pound a month kind of out of my own pocket from my personal training wage, just building the audience. And then kind of while I was doing that, I got about seven months in of just putting out free content. And and then people started asking me for training programs. So I started to put together what is now the 12 week training program. It kind of went through a few iterations before I sold it. And I kind of not sold anything to the audience at all. And I remember... It, this was about 18 months in and I launched the 12 week program at 8 p.m. I think it was on let's say a Tuesday night or Wednesday night something like that and then my phone was just buzzing with people buying it like I think in the first night before midnight there was about 100 people that had kind of sold the, that had bought the 12 week program and I remember like I was buzzing and I think no matter how many programs get sold in future I don't think anything will sort of match the buzz of that initial night of going from nobody buying anything to thinking like holy shit people really care enough to actually like buy the program so for me that was like a real turning point if you like and thinking like i can turn this into something and people really are interested in this like it was amazing to think that people wanted to buy something that i'd created so you must have had similar moments from starting out the business getting getting to where you are now what what are some of those moments that spring to mind yeah, definitely. I mean, it, there, there is like a certain rush to entrepreneurship when you start seeing things working. And that's just, I mean, it, it you can allude it to like, you know, when you start training and you're, you're hitting KOMs and like you just feel more fit and you can ride for longer. Like that's a great feeling. It's like you're working and you're succeeding. Like that's a, such a good feeling or it's like racing and winning and entrepreneurship's the same way. It's like I built something, I put this together 
and people are buying it and they like it. Like, yeah, like it, it's just a very <laughs> exciting, fun thing, you know, like that's, that's one of the fulfillments anyone can get in life. So yeah, I mean, really when, when, when we were starting out and as we were growing, you know, it was, it was slow, right? We started microscopic in size and just, you know, sold odds and ends, high end stuff. Um, really just the first year only on eBay and, and through the retail store. And it was a tiny little operation, but it was so cool to just meet more people. And like the first custom build we did was so rad. And then, you know, every, every little thing that like when it started really taking shape was, was cool. And then the other thing to me that I, I enjoy and is fulfilling is like, you know, it's obviously a lot of young people are in the cycling industry. So, you know, we have a, a good number of staff that are, you know, under 25 years old. And I've, I've like, because I've been friends with them and been put in the leadership role, have been able to impact people's lives in a good way. And like, that's also a really fulfilling thing out of business, just like being in a leadership role that I never, I never would have had my, you know, my feet in those shoes if I didn't start something. So yeah, there's, there's totally like good gratifying moments to it, which is why I think like everyone, you know, entrepreneurship can be totally scary. But even if you just do something like really small scale to like share your knowledge with other people and maybe turn it into like a small side hustle, like that's such a fun thing to try and do and, and share what you know with other people and see if maybe they really like it and care about it and potentially want to pay for it. You know, I, I always like encourage people to do it, even if it's on a tiny scale and, you know, don't, don't quit your job necessarily, like be financially smart, but still try that sort of stuff because it is so fun. And I think for the vast majority of people, that's the most practical way to do it. Unless you're, say, fresh out of university and living at home with your parents, then you can just go as long as they're happy to support you. Then you can go all in and do it full time. But a lot of people listening to this podcast may be in the position where they want something of their own, but they've got a mortgage, they've got car payments, they've got a house. And I agree, like just do it in the mornings and the evenings and as a side hustle. Like there's a big difference between sort of being completely full time on a business and having nothing like you can just start it in your spare time and build it up i think especially now with the internet like you can just start an instagram account tonight and start posting every day and just building it up i think people sometimes think that it's too late for them or they can't because they're too busy and like even if you've only got an hour a day or two hours a day that can that can start to build something over time a lot of the youtubers that we see like yourself and you know other people um like we just had Paul the Punter on the podcast, it just starts as kind of a hobby and something you do on a weekend and then build over time to something bigger. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's it's just that funny thing where it's like, you know, work your face off for five years and then all of a sudden people will call you an overnight success. But yeah, like everything started as, as something totally small and then eventually, you know, turned into something big. But um, even if you don't intend to like, you know, build a giant company or even a small business, like it's still fun to just like dabble and play and, you know, share, share your knowledge with other people. Yeah, you 100%. You've got to enjoy the process. And if you enjoy the process of doing it and there's nothing else that you'd rather be doing, then you're onto a winner. Did you get many people that were haters is a very strong word because unless you're Jay-Z, we probably don't have actual haters, but yeah. did you get many people that were, were hating on you in the early days and saying, what are you doing? You should be getting a stable job. Like you're being a fool. Did you have any of that or, or not? I didn't No, I mean, it's, okay. it's, it's crazy. Like I, I hear so many, I really have like not an ex I don't have like a rags to riches or like any like crazy story by any means. I was just, you know, like a, a white male born into a middle-class family in California. Like, it's not, and like I, with supportive parents, like I have no, like, 
no sob story or, or anything really special like that. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, no. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. It. <laughs> did it grow? Did it? Was there a moment where it began to grow really fast, or is it just being incremental steps, day after day after day, just consistently getting bigger? Or were there? I don't know. I can't think of an example. But was there like a moment where you partnered up with a certain brand, for example, and then that doubled the business? Or were there, were there any real pivot points like that, or has it just been? consistently putting in the effort day after day after day and just gradually building it up yeah that's that's been more of it right i mean it's it's been like consistent day after day effort and and focusing on the right things and it just sort of slowly grew you know there's been like things here there that have that have definitely like you know gave us little like bumps where it's like oh this is working really well but but there there was no I mean it's not a it's not a tech startup you know it didn't just all of a sudden like explode into a big company overnight and it still is you know a small business so it's um, yeah there wasn't anything crazy that like skyrocketed it it was definitely just like slow roll like day after day like finding I've always tried to focus on like win wins right like how do you because that's always tough in business like how do you put together something. How do you help your business succeed and also bring value to the customer at the same time? Like that's a pretty tough thing to do. There's usually like give or take there. You know, like you can even just think of shipping, right? Like we're one of the only people that offers free shipping on everything, like period in, in the US that is. And and most people don't do that. Most people are, are you know, like over $50 blah blah blah, but to me it's like, well, how do you how do you figure that out? Like how do you find a way to bring value to customers that is also going to not like destroy your bottom line and and vice versa, right? So mm. the, I always focus on those little win-wins anywhere we could and yeah, just the slow roll to slowly build the thing. That's massive. Do you uh, do you spend a lot of time learning about business through books and YouTube or has it purely been just from the doing for you and obviously through your early experience at the bike shop? Yeah, it's um I definitely uh, I love business a ton just like bikes it's it's totally one of my main passions and so I've you know basically from like 18 years old started reading a lot of books just on business and modern business and not necessarily even just books just like there's so many good articles I mean the internet is full of basically everything you could ever want to learn at your fingertips you just have to sit there and google it and take the time to read it so I I never did any formal, I didn't go to college, I didn't do any like formal education on any of this stuff. I just, you know, did it, learned from doing, and then just tried to find and read articles and watch videos and, you know, listen to good books of, uh, you know, just like the most credible sources and learn sort of modern day business. And so, yeah, that's, that's about it. I mean, no, definitely no formal education. A lot of people ask like, oh, did you go to business school? And it's like, no, didn't just you know, get into Google and read. <laughs> the thing is you can learn everything on the internet nowadays. So if you want to learn about marketing or social media marketing or email campaigns or how to build a website or any of that, like just type it into Google and there's so much information there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The other Are there any, added... sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. You carry on. I'll, I'll remember the question. You're all right. Okay. Yeah. I just want to add one thing. One thing I did do, you know, is, is, uh, I would go to these events, right? Like e-commerce seminars and marketing seminars, things like that. And then there's like little pockets of, you know, uh, little organizations that, you know, put entrepreneurs together for like a three day weekend and everyone kind of like shares knowledge on a topic of their expertise. And so I definitely did a lot of those cause I, I enjoy that sort of social learning aspect. So that to me was like another fun thing. Cause like all the knowledge is out there and it's, you know, really fun to like hang out with smart people if you can get around them and ask the right questions. So that was another big piece of like the learning curve for me. 
Yeah, I think from talking to you now, we're very similar in in ways like that. Like I did, I in the UK, you may know know already, but you go to college and then after that you go to university. So when I was in college, I decided not to go to uni and I became a personal trainer. So I'll have been age 19 when I started. And it was being thrown into that world of being completely self-employed and having to get your own clients and earn your living yourself and learn how to look after customers and keep them. Um, and then I started kind of learning exactly about the things that you just mentioned there, like self-development seminars and business seminars and reading business books and learning about that. And then it developed. And then I've very much like you, obviously on different paths in that a lot of my learning has just been from Googling and reading and reading books and watching YouTube videos and all that sort of things. Like I think you definitely don't have to go to college or go to university and do a three-year business course to start a business. Like you can just do it from scratch and learn as you go along there's so many good resources um are there any particular people or particular books that spring to mind that have been particularly beneficial for you and i'm gonna make a note <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, man good good books that have been beneficial i would say you know some of like the you know the lean startup um that's a really interesting yeah. book all about just starting really small and iterating off of different things from user feedback and then kind of like a, a slightly different book is zero to one. And actually those two authors have like very opposing views a little bit. And zero to one, zero to one is, is interesting because it, it kind of like dissects uh, monopolies and how, you know, that's kind of what you want in a business is to find like every way you can legitimately differentiate your business uh, is, is what's going to help. Right. Cause he says like businesses don't fail. They just fail to escape competition and so that's a very interesting thing. And just understanding like financial models and stuff of different businesses. So th those two books, I, I think were, were pretty valuable um, from a business perspective. But man, I've, I've read so many over the years that it, yeah. it's hard to think uh, off the top of my head, which ones are good. But those ones definitely spring to mind is just like interesting books. If you know, just like a little bit more nerdy business stuff about starting stuff and then scaling it. And then, you know, the concepts of competition and how to escape competition and how to actually put yourself in like a unique position in the marketplace so that yeah. you know customers gravitate towards you and not your direct competitors yeah a bit like the uh i forget there's that name for it is it the blue water theory or the open water theory something like that yeah, so you want to go to strategy that's the one yeah so you want to go where no one else is essentially we're either doing one of two things right now i could talk about this for like the next three hours <laughs> yeah, we've either had people switch off for the podcast or we've had loads of people like no carry on talking about it so uh i'll ask one more question then we'll talk about kind of the mountain bike business as a whole but this is i'm very much like you like i could talk about this all night this is this is my kind of passion uh have you read any or are you familiar with gary vaynerchuk stuff yeah, yeah, of course, man. I mean, he's. I used to watch Gary V forever ago. So yeah, I mean, he's he's cool. Uh, Gary V is like, I don't know. I'm like hit or miss on Gary V. I feel like in the old days, he he used to do a lot of, uh, he used to do a lot of like really interesting talks on marketing strategies and all of that mm. sort of stuff. And then he's kind of like faded into, I don't know, almost. I don't know. It's kind of tough. Gary, Gary V. Some of the stuff I watched, I was like, wow, that was brilliant, super interesting, and valuable. And it was, and it spoke to me. And then the other stuff I watch is like, ah, this is just like him, you know, telling college kids to not be so lazy. Yes, like, oh, yes, uh, yeah. I totally yeah. agree. And I oh, think, for, 
for the college kids watching it, it's probably massively beneficial for them. But unlike you, like you know that he knows all the stuff that you'd like to learn from him, but he doesn't necessarily talk about it in his videos. Yeah. So you've just got to find the right ones. For me, he's one of the probably one of the biggest uh, people that I've learned from from reading all his books and his YouTube videos, just around social media marketing and like building an audience and like you say, getting people to like you on the internet and trust you and giving people value. Like uh, you probably heard of like his. Uh, jab 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 right hook so just give 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 and then ask eventually um like i say i could definitely talk about this for hours but let's move on to the uh, to the next topic um so i think it'd be cool to talk about business in the biking industry as a whole and one particular topic which is absolutely ginormous and is only going to get bigger is the kind of movement from brick and mortar retailers to the internet which obviously your business is very much you know at the forefront and right in that when it comes to the mountain bike world so what are your views as a whole of massive retails like chain reaction cycles and uh, jensen usa i believe is a big one in the usa and all those kind of people they're having a big knock-on effect on your small bike shops what, what are your views on on that situation in general yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I think um you know, business is just always going to evolve, right? Like that's change is just constant in the business environment. Like that's just how it works. Like businesses have to compete with each other and they have to adapt to consumer demands and and that's just the way it is. So, I think, you know, people get caught in in sort of like n- nobody likes not necessarily. Most people don't like change, right? Or disruption. And if if you're a small business owner that you've, you know, figured something out, you worked hard to build it and, you know, it's been running good for 20 years and now all of a sudden there's this like big looming threat, like you're probably going to be a little pissed off about it. Um, and that's understandable, but at the same thing, it's like, it's, it's funny. Cause like, I always thought a good quote, uh, Jeff Bezos, right. You know, when he was just getting so much flack for like destroying bookstores and now, you know, I mean, God knows what they claim Amazon is destroying <laughs> now, but you know, his, his quote was like, you know, complaining is not a business strategy. So it, it, it's a little aggressive, but at, at the same time, you know, I, I, I get it. Like, you know, business is evolving and some people are upset about it, but at the same time, it's not like, it's not like, you know, there's any like crazy unfair advantages. We didn't, you know, we're not like using special magical internet tools that no one else is able to use like every single brick and mortar that's been around can start a shopify website and sell shit yeah. on the internet like for so, free yeah yeah totally i mean it's like it's it's so easy to do so it's you know again it's it goes back to that like complaining yeah like that's not really that's not really helping your cause maybe you should pay more attention to your consumer trends and why people want to buy online more and, and all that sort of stuff so so I don't know, you know, I, I get it and I get that the, the industry is evolving and some people are, are very strict and hardcore on, you know, you know, uh, shop local and support small business and blah, blah, blah. And, and that's great. Like, I, I see nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, like consumers want choice and, you know, we all we're all consumers. We're all buying stuff. And if, if we want to buy it online, great. If you want to buy it in store, great. If you want to buy it from a small business or a big business, like it's your choice. So, you know, that's the consumer's choice to make. So, I don't know, businesses just have to adapt to that and hope that they push their business in the correct direction. So, yeah, I, I think change is always a constant. And, and one of the things that I think has helped us is like always thinking like, well, what are threats to our business and how do we evolve and adapt to that? And, you know, you have to just always be thinking about that because, you know, it would be the same thing of like me sitting here 
and and bitching and complaining about uh, bike brands and component brands and everyone going like consumer direct, right? It's just like, well, why would I buy a Maxxis tire from you when I can buy it from MaxxisTires.com? You know, it's like, well, I don't know. Like, you tell me. You know, I'll, I'll try and find a way to convince you to shop with us. But at the end of the day, like, you can shop with all the brands. And that's a huge, you know, consumer direct purchasing is a threat. What value do retailers offer? What value do online retailers offer versus brick and mortar, et cetera? So, I don't know. The game of business is always evolving. There'll always be controversy. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, consumer, you know, the market, the market doesn't give a shit about your business model. You know, like yeah. if it's not good, if it's not relevant, then, you know, complaining is not going to fix that. But what will fix that is like figuring out what the market wants, what direction it's going and making sure you're supplying the right ways. So um, I don't know. It, it is a, it is an interesting topic for sure. I think you can say that with a lot more weight as well because you actually have a brick and mortar store. So I don't. So if I was to give my opinion on that, which is probably very, very similar to yours, to be honest, um, I don't have a brick and mortar store. So it's hard for me to kind of defend that because I do feel for, you know, the local bike shops are maybe struggling. But I think you can kind of adapt. So like my local bike shop um, that I get my bikes uh, that works on my bike, he used to have a high street bike shop which was about five times the size of the one he has now and he used to sell bikes and sell components and then he also used to work on people's bikes and now he purely just works on the mechanical side of the bike so he's just a bike mechanic he has like a hut that's off the main road so you have to know where to go and he's always absolutely rammed like you go in and there will be 30 bikes everywhere and it's just him on his own um, and that's just because he's realized that for him sort of the most profitable area in the area that he can that there's always going to be demanding is on working in bikes like he's adapted and realized that a high street shop for him wasn't wasn't going to work but working on people's bikes absolutely can so i totally agree you've just got to adapt and learn and see where you fit into it but the world is going to change and consumer behavior is going to change like people are going people particularly people who know what they're buying anyway like maybe the total beginner for example who doesn't know what the best mountain bike tire is needs a brick and mortar store to walk into and say i do this kind of riding what should i buy and i think it's been massively beneficial for them to have that there but riders who know what they need and know what tire they want to try, they're almost always going to choose to buy it online because it's easier, it's faster, and it's normally cheaper as well. So as much as that does suck for some of the local bike shop owners, it's just the, the way of the world at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we, we made a, a YouTube video, uh, I think the title was Consumer Direct Bike Brands, Are They Destroying or Evolving the Industry? And I try to just lay out, you know, like what the original business model was, how it's evolving, uh, how it's affecting different things. And also like lay out too, you know, just like you said, there's different types of consumers, right? Like beginner riders that are get, just getting into the sport and, you know, they're probably looking at a bike well under a thousand dollars. They need a very different service than people who are way into the sport and who work on their, you know, have a, you have a park tool stand in your garage or two of them and a full rack of tools and you've learned how to work on your bike. Like that's such a different consumer. And there's, you know, so they just need different experiences. So I tried to lay out in that video, like how, how things have evolved and how there's like different you know, just different consumers with different needs and, and why it matters. And in that, that video, man, it was crazy. I, we've never published a video that's got such like every, almost every comment was like over a paragraph long. It is crazy. Wow. Like, people are so like sensitive on this. And, and most of them were, 
most of them were not negative. They were just they were just very personal. Actually, they were talking about because every one of us has had a different experience shopping online and shopping in store. And the bike industry is notorious for like not really being inclusive in a sense of uh, it's more of like a nose in the air type of thing, right? Like if a beginner walks into a store and that's, you know, all the staff there is like really into the industry and is kind of like snobby and looks down on them, you know, because like, oh, if you don't ride a $5,000 bike, I don't give a shit about you, you know, like, and they, they feel that and people get really upset about that and rightfully so. And then some people shop online and have bad experiences or good experiences and yeah, it's it's very interesting. So it's it was in a very interesting video to see how people reacted and the different personal experiences they've had. And and some people legitimately, you know, have local bike shops to them, and every one of them just gives them a consistently shitty experience. So they go online, and I'm dead serious. And and other people have had amazing experiences locally, and they're not super price sensitive, and they have great, awesome local shops with supportive, kind people, and so they just never buy online, they just buy in store. So it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's totally different for everyone, and, and, you know, if you ever want some entertainment, like, go to that video and, and dive into the comments. I mean, it's just nuts, the, you know, the stuff that, you know, people have experienced over time, and why they shop where, and yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating how, like, serious people want to talk about that topic. Yeah, I was. Uh, I watched that video actually before I came on this podcast. That that was the last video of yours that I literally just watched about half an hour before we started. Uh, but I didn't read the comments, so I'll definitely do that later. And um, I think people get so passionate about it because it's it's our industry, isn't it? Like mountain bikers, or definitely your obsessed mountain biker anyway, rather than your very new beginner. In that, it's it's not just something that we do. Like it's a part of our identity and our who we are like people listening to this podcast like we're driving to work right now and there's nothing we'd rather do than uh, than listen to a podcast with people talking about bikes like we love it so i think that's why we as mountain bikers get so passionate about it because it is like our identity and our passion and it's way more than just a hobby i think to most mountain bikers it's, it's huge yeah you're right that's a good point um, I think another point that I was thinking when you were talking there, a lot of it for the business owner side of it, and I think this is for everybody, is a lot of it comes down to kind of like no excuses, doesn't it? So you just gave a great example of like if you go to a bike shop and they give you a crap service, you, you're never going to go back there. But there will also be bike shops where people are queuing out of the door to uh, customers are queuing out of the door to come to them because they give an amazing service and the fact that they really help them and ask them if they've, you know, they're thinking of getting this set of wheels, but have you considered this set of wheels? and they're really attentive and give them the attention and do that people are always going to go back so i think there's always going to be a place for good bike shops like for me personally i'm always going to want somebody to fix my bike for me like i'm never going to do it myself even though i could learn yeah. I'm, I, I don't want to spend the time on it i'm horrific at it i'll end up breaking my bike i would rather just take it to my bike shop dude i know he like will look after my bike and sort it for me and then for me that's always it's always going to work so i, I think you've just business owners just have to figure out where they slot into it all mm-hmm. so that moves nicely onto direct to consumer bikes like yt and canyon and obviously what we've been talking about there do you think that they're a good thing for the industry or a bad thing like I, the one thing i didn't see is the last three minutes of the video which i think is where you share your actual opinion on it so what what are your views I, I think it's good. Yeah, I, I think it's good for the industry. And and I think, again, it boils back down to that, the evolution, right? I mean, it is, business, business doesn't evolve for 
any other reason than uh, supplying consumer demands and providing a better experience to consumers. Like that consumer direct bike brands evolved because, you know, the product was very expensive and sometimes hard to reach. And the value proposition wasn't so good because you had sometimes, um, you know, the brand, then a distributor, then a retailer, and, and the markup got excessive. And it, it's already like a, a pretty, in the scheme of things, like high-end mountain bikes are not produced at any serious scale. So they're always going to be somewhat expensive because they're just not really making that many of them. Um, and and it's that's a lot of R&D. So they're always going to be pricey. So like, how do you help that issue, right? Like, how do you get a really high quality bike that would traditionally be, you know, $8,000? How do you get it in someone's hands for $5,000? Well, consumer direct brands are, are trying to solve that problem, which is a problem. Like, everyone wants nicer bikes for less money, duh. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think it's good. I, I think it's, I think it's uh, evolving the industry in the right way. And it is a little bit of a double-edged sword, like, like anything, right? I mean, because if, if, those, if those brands took over so much so that you know, local bike shops couldn't exist, then it, you know, the, the value a lot of people argue with local bike shops, and I agree with this, is they, they, they have a big value proposition to get people into the sport. You know, most of us, you know, our first experience is buying a bike or buying a mountain bike when we were noobs and we were getting into the industry is with a local shop. The local shop helps guide you on, you know, where to ride locally, what to ride, helps you service your bike before you learn how, like they play a pivotal role in getting people interested and into the sport for the first time and then those those people then you know hopefully go on and do it consistently and habitually and make it part of their life and their identity and ride three times a week and all that sort of stuff but local bike shops are kind of the catalyst to that and so like i get that and that's a very valid argument and why they should continue to exist so i don't know there's just different levels of customers like you you mentioned your local bike shop guy who just does service like that's awesome he's adapting he's evolved the model that's really cool so i don't know there there's there's definitely you can argue both sides but at the end of the day you know like i mentioned earlier business is just it's ever evolving it's never going to change and you know it, it's going to benefit some people and not benefit other people um yeah, yeah. so i don't know it, it's interesting I, I definitely am i'm i'm pro like business evolution uh, of all yeah. kinds even if it's like in direct threat to my own business like i don't care like i didn't start this business thinking it was going to be you know, sustainable for, you know, centuries, like you got to evolve and adapt and change. So, so yeah, I, I, I'm definitely for like any type of like good, proper business evolution that like supports, you know, people continuously riding bikes. Yeah. And that mindset, like is crucial. You've got, you can either choose to ride the wave or choose to battle it. But if you choose to ride the wave, then that's going to work out a hell of a lot better for you. Yeah. Um, on that note, that kind of leads us nicely into the next topic of conversation. And we'll probably have had very different, well, we definitely will have had very different experiences with this. So I don't talk about it on many podcasts because this is a nice escape for people. But I think particularly because of your business and how uh, way you're positioned in all of this. So at the beginning of the year, everybody knows obviously about the COVID pandemic and everybody going into lockdown at various different stages in different countries. This has had a ginormous effect on bike sales. Um, I know of one large-scale retailer in the UK whose bike sales in the month of April, I believe it was, were up 600% based on last year. So like, it's absolutely insane numbers, and I'm sure you can relate to some of them. So what's, what's your experience been as a, as a retailer and a business owner over the past few months? I'm sure you've got some very unique insights to share, and I think my audience will be interested to hear it as well, hear about it from your side of it. 
Yeah, totally. So, you know, you hit the nail on the head, right? Like the the pandemic, no no one you know, no one that I knew in the industry really knew how it was going to affect anything. Like it was, no one knew, right? Like this hasn't happened in any of our lifetimes. So like, we're all just trying to like guess how it's going to affect our businesses. And in the bike industry, crazy enough, like cycling of all kinds, all kinds just like exploded in, in popularity. And it's been handled differently in different countries in terms of bike shops, like bike shops in the United States were deemed essential pretty quickly because a lot of people commute to work on their bikes and essential workers use their bike to commute, blah, blah, blah. So controversy aside, like the bike shops were deemed essential so they could continue operating as long as they, you know, tried to respect like CDC guidelines and stuff. And in every country handled that differently, either way, like globally, the sport of cycling of any kind, whether it's like, you know, you, you ride three times a summer with your wife and your kids, like now you just ride more often because it's a great socially distant activity and, you know, baseball fields, basketball, football, like gyms, all that sort of stuff is closed. Right. So cycling was one of these things that got really popular really quick in all across the world it it happened the same and bike shops just got under pressure so hard and everyone in the industry right like bike brands uh suspension manufacturing mean, like you name it like bikes cycling of all kinds just got more popular because more people got into the sport brand new to it more people who did it on occasion you know with their families or something like that or just like novice riders that would maybe seasonally ride they just got more into it and did it more often and the season started early and then the guys who the guys and gals who are, are, you know, constant riders that usually always rode, you know, three to three times a week, like now they're riding seven times a week because they're working from home. And like, so it just got crazy popular. And, and it was, it's, it was so hard to operate a business during that because the demand just went absolutely through the roof at the same time. Uh, at the same time, like life was hard for all of us, right? Like we had all these different things. It's like, okay, well, like when do we need people to wear masks in the store? Do we need to wear masks in the store? Do we need to clean this? Do we need to clean that? Like, how do we change this? And, you know, certain staff in our business, and I'm sure every other business were just frankly afraid to go to work. They, you know, they wanted to just stay inside. So they wanted to sort of take like a, a leave of absence. And then now you have less staff and extreme demand and it, it was just extremely challenging for businesses of all kinds, right? I mean, it, so I've always just, you know, tried to, I tried to be transparent about that to our customers because our our customer experience certainly took a hit because like, frankly, you can't keep up. I mean, imagine, imagine owning a coffee shop and then, you know, seemingly overnight you look outside and there's like a quarter mile line out the door. Like, what do you do? Like you can't, you realistically cannot serve all those people as fast and people are going to get impatient that are further down the line. And then halfway through the line, you just run out of product. So it, it, it was, it's crazy. And it still is like, we're on the back end of it now. Um, and it's slowed down a bit, mostly because like everyone's out of stock of everything. Like there's like global bicycle shortages of stuff and tubes and like, it's nuts. Like how everything just ran out of stock because everyone bought it. It was like a run on the banks. The whole thing was just a wild, wild experience. And uh, People for Bikes is a as a nonprofit organization that does a lot of cool stuff here in the states. They have some really interesting data on like the popularity of cycling, like the different ways that they track that. Because they track it more from like a like a governmental standpoint to then lobby for more bike lanes and more bike areas, things like that. And so they track a lot of that data in various ways. And and you can see like the participation in cycling of all kinds just went through the roof in in at least in the states in late March is when it happened. And then it's still pretty much holding strong. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's been wild and, and it's, that's for every business. So I, I've just like, you know, whenever we made a video and tried to talk about it, I tried to be transparent about what was going on. And then also just like, you know, asking people, Connie, like, please, if I have one request, just like give us and every small business a little additional patience. Cause like, we don't have the best resources to handle things like this. Um, so it was, it was hard to operate during that. So yeah, it was, it's, it was wild. And, and I don't think anyone knew that that was going to happen, but hopefully in the long run, this helps more people ride bikes longer. These people who got into the sport, stay in the sport and love it. And the whole pie grows like that's, that's kind of like the long-term optimistic hope on the whole thing. Um, you know, so, that, and I think they will, and I, and I, I think they will, and I think it'll be a, a more popular sport for years to come. So in the scheme of things, it, it could be good for everyone and in terms of the bike industry and more people out there riding, which which is cool. Yeah, I absolutely agree that it will probably like, more than definitely have a positive impact on the sport purely because the same thing with gyms in January. Like you get a massive influx into every gym in the world in January because everybody's starting out and then X amount of percent of those people are still there in six months. You know, it might be 5% of them are still going regularly after six months, for example, but that's still 5% extra. So we've almost had that, but on a massive scale for mountain bikers and cyclists in general, road cycling and all that sorts of kinds and you're definitely going to get beginners who have just started riding a little bit off road who enjoy it and start to research mountain biking and are very much at the stop of at the top of that slippery slope we've all been there um, and i think many of them are, are definitely going to stick around with the sport because they've got into it now so of course it's been a horrible thing for many of people many people but I can definitely see there being positives for the mountain bike industry and the cycling industry as a whole. And I think the good thing for that is that people everywhere are going to be getting fitter and healthier and getting the physical benefits and the mental benefits of mountain biking as a whole. So I think that's definitely a bit of a silver lining to come out of it for the mountain bike industry as a whole. Yeah, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. And like you said, man, I mean, the the physical and mental health benefits of riding bikes are, are pretty phenomenal. And you know, it's great to have more people experiencing that. Yeah, that is a very nice segue onto what I wanted to talk about for the last 10 to 15 minutes of the podcast. Um, you mentioned yesterday when we were chatting about topics for this podcast, you started to talk about your typical weekend warrior and you had some fairly strong views, which married up nicely to what I believe about focusing on the basics and about whether people need to be worrying about certain components and bike choice and all that sort of thing. So can you just elaborate a little bit on what we were talking about briefly yesterday? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, the longer I've been in the industry, the more I have seen kind of an interesting trend. And the trend is, you know, we all love to really get nerdy about this in terms of the sport, uh, whether it's fitness or especially the components and the bikes that we ride. And that's part of the fun, frankly, right? It's like part of the fun of mountain biking or cycling of any kind is like learning about different tires and wheels and suspension and all these different upgrades you can make and how they might benefit or change your ride. That's fun. Like part of that is, is very fun. You know, the, the downside to that mentality is decision paralysis and, and stress. And that's, I think we, you know, we see a lot of riders that kind of overweight the importance of some of this stuff. Like they, they almost feel like, ah, like they, you know, I get it, right? Like if you're going to spend a thousand dollars on a new fork for your mountain bike, 
you definitely, you know, you feel highly obligated to do your research ahead of time and under, you know, make sure you're buying the right one. And there's a lot of choices and they all have little different unique benefits to each one of them. And so it's, so it's good to learn and educate yourself on it, but also think it's good to don't get, don't get paranoid or obsessive about it and, and know that like, there's a lot of great brands and, you know, basically like if you buy a, a good name brand and take a, a good recommendation and you really don't need to do as much research as you'd probably think to get a great product that is going to be awesome and probably not be like very different from the other one. Um, you know, if you pay attention to suspension forks, like I just mentioned a lot, uh, you know, Fox just released their 38, which is like, I'm calling a super enduro fork. And then RockShox, not too long after released their Zeb, which is 38 mil stanchion, long travel, like enduro forks. Right. And so many people were like, compare them, compare them, compare them. And we, we, our YouTube channel does a lot of comparisons because we try to help people like make these decisions. And, um, that one, <laughs> it was like, I try to do that video where like I try to legitimately do the proper research and dissect every single little difference, but also at the same time, like add a little like honesty and humor there where it's like, if you were blindfolded, you probably would not know which one of these was on your bike. Um, but you would know that your, you know, your wallet has $200 more in it if you went with the RockShox one. So like, I don't know, that's something to consider, you know, but if you took the blindfold off and you hated the black and you wanted the Kashima, then like buy the fucking Kashima one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, oh, sorry. I, can't, I forgot. I said a bad word. Bleep that out. Uh, um, no, no, don't worry. Fine. Um, yeah. So like I, I definitely try to, uh, try to help people and, and something that we do with our brand and our media is like, just let people like, you know, learn about the products, have fun with it, but like, don't get too crazy and paranoid or like, don't overthink it. Right. Like the second you get out on your bike and you're like overthinking your, your suspension or like, man, if these cranks were stiffer, I could put more Watts down. Like, just don't go to, don't get too crazy. Like the whole point is to like, have fun, enjoy yourself and like, a, you know, get a good bike, enjoy it, slowly upgrade it if you want to and, and you know, have fun doing it. Um, but don't stress about it, you know, like don't, don't get too, you know, freaked out about the whole stress of like, which bike should I get? Which suspension design is better? Cause at this point, you know, almost every component on the bike and the bikes themselves are so optimized. Like we have amazing mountain bikes, like and anyone who's been riding mountain bikes for over 15 years knows that, right? I mean, like when we were, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, bikes like had all these problems, right? Like the drivetrains didn't have enough range. The chain fell off all the time. Uh, the tires would constantly go flat. Not that that problem has been fixed, but the suspension sucked. It felt like a pogo stick. Like the brakes would heat up or you, you know, remember V brakes, like you ding your rim and then your brakes were basically ruined. You know, it was like, <laughs> you know, bikes sucked and, and now they're so good. It's just absolutely amazing. And there's so many good brands making good stuff that, um, don't beat yourself up too hard about, you know, the, the gear that you use. Um, you know, that's, that's what I try to tell people. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said, if it crosses over into you getting worried about it and it's stressing you out and you're really sort of like paralyzed about making the right decision. Like if you get into that point, just buy one and ride your bike. I think for those, I often put out posts on, on Instagram and Facebook talking about this, about how the rider is far more important on the bike. And like, we've all seen the videos of pro riders going down black trails in Whistler on cyclocross bikes and going faster than the majority of people, myself included, like who yeah, could go totally. down those trails because a lot of it, 
is like down to skill and fitness and that side of it and focus on the bike. And people always come back to me and say, yeah, but the bike does make a difference and it's part of the fun. And, and, and I totally agree. I think sometimes with an Instagram post, if I put an Instagram post out that's saying the rider is far more important than the bike, it's just a very snippet and it can be misunderstood if you like. Whereas a podcast conversation like this, where it's a little bit longer, you can go into it more. But I think if you enjoy obsessing over whether 23 or 25 psi for your rear tire or front tire is better and if you upset like if if you love reading about the difference between the rock shorts fork and the fox fork and about volume spaces and all that then absolutely carry on but if you're reading this and that stuff bores you to tears or stresses you out and you don't understand it like just like you say get your bike get a good bike if you spend an hour researching mountain bikes for your budget for it's three thousand pounds if you spend an hour researching the best three thousand pound bike some of the same bikes are going to come up over and over and over again no matter where you read about the reviews if you pick one of those bikes and it's suited to the type of riding that you do that's going to be perfect for like that's going to be absolutely fine for most people and if you give that bike to a pro rider the going to be able to like absolutely rail every trail that they come across with it like a lot of it as long as you're on a decent bike a absolute ton of it is on the rider and on eating right and on training well and making sure you're fit and healthy and skillful and all that side of it so if you enjoy it absolutely spend hours and hours researching the best possible things to buy but if it gets to the point where it's stressing you out like like you just said bikes are amazing nowadays and if you're buying one of the big brands and one of the well-known bikes you really can't go wrong because you're going to be buying a good bike yeah completely agree do you have any other sort of tips around that area to finish off the podcast that come to mind i would say um you know let's see i i would you know tell people testing is super important and the reason I, you know, always, you know, the reason we started doing demo bikes so frequently in our stores is because a lot of like the higher end, more boutique brands that we sell, you can't access them as quickly. So a lot of people are curious on how they ride. So I think testing different stuff and riding different bikes can really help give you clarity. Like if you're really like, oh, do I get this bike or that bike or this suspension or that suspension? If you have any possible way to test either of those, like that's the way to do it. And usually why is because you hop on it. And you're like, oh my God, this is great. Oh, this is so fun. And then you hop on the other one. You're like, oh my God, this is great. This is so fun. <laughs> um, so I, I, think it helps, I think it helps people realize like, you know, like, oh yeah, like pretty much whatever decision I make, it's good. It's going to be fun. And, and that's why, like at the core of why we do the sport for most of us, right. Kind of boils back down to a handful of things of like freedom and fun and exercise and a fun way to get exercise and a little adrenaline rush, all that sort of stuff. So just remember why you ride and remember that, you know, whatever bike you're on, you're probably going to have a great time either way. Um, so yeah, so I always tell people like test things out and, uh, you know, ride other bikes. I, I think that's like a really fun, easy way for riders to sort of help get mental clarity. Cause if you're not in the industry and you don't have access to like ride all these different bikes and all these different products, it's kind of seems elusive to like how different they all work. Um, but once you start testing and riding more and going to different demo, demo events and, and bike festivals and riding different bikes and stuff, you really start to realize like, oh yeah, these are all great. And I had a great time on like every one I rode. Like, yeah, they all had subtle differences, but I still had so much fun. Oh, that's right. Cause bikes are fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of what I always like to tell people. And 
you know, I, I love seeing that. I mean, obviously, there every event is seemingly canceled this year, but but you know, in years past, um, I love seeing like just average fun weekend warrior riders like go to all these different bike uh, festivals and ride different stuff. And I think that's like a great benefit to the sport from a social aspect and from a testing product aspect and just having a good time aspect. So yeah, when next year, hopefully, when all the events open back up, like get out there, ride bikes, make friends with other mountain bikers, try new trails, try new product. Like I think that's just like a fun way to get a better grasp on the industry um, and and the meaning of the whole thing, right? And and why you're in the sport in the first place. I fully agree, and I think that is a really nice way to end the podcast. <laughs> so on that note, thank you so much for coming on. I, I've really enjoyed the past hour. I could keep chatting for the next few hours, to be honest, but. I'm sort of conscious of your time and uh, I think that's a really nice way to wrap it up. So for, for people watching this, where's the best place for them to find out more about Worldwide Psycho to consume your content, to find out more about you? Where would you like to send them to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just huck it into the old Google machine. So uh, we have a YouTube channel and Instagram, Worldwide Cyclery, and uh, myself, uh, Jeff Cayley. I have a personal Instagram account that I don't really often use, but uh, I'm mostly the guys in the YouTube videos. So um, yeah, that's it. So I mean, just huck it into Google or the YouTube search bar, Instagram, and and we're out there. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we try our best to you know, add some humor to the bike industry and educate people on all things high-end mountain bikes and support people having fun and enjoying the sport of mountain biking. 100%. And I think just from this hour podcast, I know it has rubbed off on me, but you can certainly see that shines through in just this past hour conversation about how passionate you are about bikes and business and helping people out. So now it's really great to see, but thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. I've really enjoyed it, Jeff. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you having me on. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much. Yeah, cheers.